Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good evening. Thanks. I'm Robbie Itterberg. I'm the other pastor. If we haven't had the chance to meet, and this evening we are concluding the sermon series that we started a couple weeks ago, the series called Dealing with People. And as you are aware, I'm sure this is Thanksgiving week, and I'm just curious how you're feeling about that. Are you excited? Are you feeling nervous? Are you feeling like well, man, I would really be looking forward to it a lot more if so-and-so wasn't going to be there. I mean, because that's why we're in this series. Because the reality is the holidays are coming and we're also emerging from life in this pandemic where for many of us, we've spent so much of the last 20 months apart from people, not just physically, but we've been emotionally apart. And now we're stepping into that. My understanding is statistics this week, it's like three quarters of America is planning on having Thanksgiving as it was pre-pandemic. And so that means we're getting back together. That means with everybody, including those aunts and uncles that you know, you just are like, man, it really, can we just skip that? (laughs) Right, because it's a lot easier to avoid people, at least on one hand, right? It's just easier. Because people are, well, a whole mix of stuff, aren't they? They're difficult, and they're wonderful, they're hurtful, and they're encouraging, they are sinful, and they are loving, they are really terrible. You hate to love them. You sometimes love to hate them, and it's just a whole mix. And we need to relearn together how to deal with people, to navigate these relationships in a healthy way, and we're hoping to learn from Jesus in this series about how we can do that well. Skills and habits that maybe you've known but need to relearn, or maybe you've never actually put into practice really. And so the first week, we started with Jesus reminding us or teaching us that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So whatever you say, whatever those words are, even in the heat of the moment, they come out because they are inside of you. They are part of your core. They're within your heart in the first place. And so we can think about our words and what they tell us about the state of our heart. And we realize that to change our words, we need to actually have our hearts changed, cleaned and purified and transformed. Last week, we looked at our tendency as people to try to avoid taking responsibility for our part, for our words, for our actions. Jesus said so clearly to us, why do you look at the speck in other people's eyes when there is a giant plank in your own? Very vivid image to help us maybe remember to first look at what we have done. And he says, then first take that plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other's eye. And so today, we're going to try to look at how we do that. How do we actually help with the speck in the other's eyes in our lives? 
And, and this is all part of, as we're dealing with people, I think how we learn to navigate community well, but specifically navigate conflict. Navigate situations where we've been hurt. Navigate situations that sometimes in our normal course of things go unaddressed or just get out of control. And Jesus gives us some very clear steps that we can take to fight well and navigate these relationships. And so we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to hear from Jesus this evening. I encourage you to, to either follow along on the screen or just listen for Jesus' words to us. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And let's pray as we move into this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, how you speak into the reality of our lives, the very real circumstances and situations. And so this evening, may you guide our thoughts. May you shape us from the inside. May you give us practical skills and tools that, Lord, we can seek to heal and to reconcile relationships. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this passage, it starts out with say, Jesus saying, if a brother or sister sins. Some actually early manuscripts that sometimes it says sins, sometimes it sins against you. I think it may say just sins, but then Peter asks the question, how many times do I need to forgive when my brother or sister sins against me? So really, I think it covers both situations. And as we think about dealing with people, we're trying to look at that reality. When someone has hurt you, when someone has sinned against you, and Jesus gives these incredibly practical healthy steps. And in the context of this passage, he's talking about relationships within the church. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that these are steps that are practical in any relationships. If you have a, a network of people, this can be really helpful and useful in those as well. But as we lean into this, he gives us at least four very clear steps. The first step is this. If a brother or sister sins against you, Go and point out the fault just between the two of you. So if they've sinned against you. Now, we got to start there because there are lots of issues that become fights in our lives, aren't there? And I'm going to say some of those issues are not sin issues. Some of those issues are preferences and annoyances, and you're just sick of the toilet seat being left up, and you're sick of the toothpaste being squeezed, you know, from the middle and not from the end, and, and you just get these things that are so obnoxious, and they become then the things that we sometimes fight about. 
And it is important to learn how to navigate those nuances, those preferences in relationship, and to be, learn to be respectful, and how do we live together when we have difference. But that's not what Jesus is addressing here. He's giving a model for how we deal with sin. And those are those things that we've done that are hurtful toward one another. And so he gives us this very clear model, and he says, hey, if, if they've sinned against you, Go and point out the fault. Now, before you can actually point out the sin, point out the fault, you actually have to articulate what it is. And so what this can tell us, or it can be very helpful, is sometimes in the moment, you're not really able to articulate very well what actually is the issue, are you? And so maybe it's time to take a break, cool off, back up, take an inventory, figure out where is there actually just annoyance, where is there sin? Can you actually articulate what the sin is? Or are we reacting in the moment because we're hurt, we're frustrated, we're angry, and so we're just kind of blasting everywhere? And so Jesus is saying, hey, go and point out the fault. Don't just vomit your emotions all over. And so some of us need to take a, take a step back. Some are reactors. And you know in, in conflict if you're a reactor. And perhaps it would be healthy to step back and sift through the emotions to figure out, okay, is there sin here? Okay, what is it? Because then you actually have to go and put it into words. You have to speak it to them, point out their fault. And man, this, is, this is so hard, isn't it? It's so hard. And actually, it's really simple, but I don't think this is practiced very often at all especially in the world we're living in now where, you know, social media makes it just so easy. Because if you're frustrated with somebody, if you feel like they've done something wrong, whether it's against you or somebody else, man, the tendency is to just kind of put people on blast on the internet. And then, you know, in this gigantic explosion, people can just get dehumanized, get this, like, mob mentality gathered around people, and, you know, you get what now has become cancel culture, right? That that's what this is really about. We're not actually trying to address any real issues that somebody might be carrying. We're just putting them on blast and shutting them down. And so Jesus says, no, 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 you need to go. There's that little word, go. Not sit back behind a computer, behind a phone, and send a text, because that's not very helpful anyway, is it? I was actually reading uh, a commentary on this uh, by a man named William Barclay this week, and he was reflecting in his day, he was writing this commentary in the 50s or the early 60s, a little bit before the internet, right? And so he was reflecting on the problem of writing letters. He's saying, it's not good enough. This passage is not saying, go ahead and write a letter and put somebody on blast. He's saying, because letters, they don't convey the right tone, they may not get the message across the way you intended to. Yeah. And man, if that was happening with letters that took you, you actually had to write it out and think while you were going, man, texting, done. The brain almost doesn't even function. And man, we know that the tone gets lost. You know, you, man, there is no such thing as sarcasm through a text. It just does not. It doesn't communicate, does it? And so it could just come across as hurtful, spiteful, mean. And that misses the whole point of this passage. 
And so when this says go, it means go physically, face to face, and address the person that has sinned against you. At least get as close as you can. Maybe it's not practical if they live across the country. But man, FaceTime lets you at least see their face. You could do that. Right? Because this is about reconciliation. This is about seeking to be reconciled. Man, it's easy to put people on blast and walk away. It's easy to just cut ties. And this happens all the time. I see it in family relationships. I see it among friends. I see it certainly in workplaces. I see it in all, all walks of life. Doing this hard work of actually addressing things one-on-one, -on -one, man, we just don't want to do it. And so just cut it off. We'll coexist. We won't really talk about anything. We'll try to avoid each other. We'll just keep pressing on. And, and then, then sometimes, if you're a follower of Jesus, you kind of take this whole approach to, to conflict in, in relationships. Man, I, I, I'm supposed to just forgive, right? And so, yeah, okay, they've hurt me, but I, I just need to forgive, so I'm just going to let it go. I'm not going to address it. Isn't, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, the, I'm really the better Christian here because I'm, I'm not really addressing it. I'm, for, I'm forgiving. Well, are you really forgiving? Are we really forgiving? I mean, if you're able to really forgive, that's wonderful. That's great without having to address it. But here's the thing. This passage isn't about you. And that's our biggest problem in conflict, isn't it? It's all about me. See, this passage, Jesus is actually saying, is not about you who have been sinned against. It's all about the person who has sinned against you. It's about winning them over. It's about reconciliation, bringing them back into healthy relationship with you. The goal is the relationship. And so it's really about them, not about you. And so by avoiding the issues, we're not actually helping anybody. And you, I hope you've had this experience of moving through conflict with somebody in your life where actually moving through conflict deepened your relationship. You became closer through it that if you had avoided it, you would have stolen the depth of relationship that was possible by really dealing with it together. And besides, our whole approach to, to forgiveness as a culture is, is really, it's about purging the negativity that you're carrying around with you. That's not it at all. James 5, verse 20 says, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is about them turning them from the error of their ways, bringing them out of death into life, covering over their sin. Man, that's a gift that we give the other person when we go and speak to them one-to-one -one in conflict. So why don't we do it? Do you do it? I'll let you chew on that for a second, but man, I think a lot of the time we don't. And we don't go one-to-one, -one, and I think there's a lot of reasons. I just want to offer a few. I think the first is there's sometimes there's a power dynamic involved, isn't there? And so maybe you know, you're, you're facing a situation where you have to confront a boss, or you have to confront a, t a, a parent, or confront a teacher, or confront a pastor, who sinned or sinned against you. And there's this perceived power dynamic that who am I to confront them? 
And so we, we just don't. We just kind of let it all go. And man, that just perpetuates whole unhealthy systems and organizations. It perpetuates unhealthy families. It perpetuates unhealthy churches. It perpetuates unhealthy classrooms. But we avoid it because of the, the, the power dynamic. I think another reason we don't necessarily go one-to-one is because what if, what if they start pointing out my faults? You know, what, what, if, what if they start, you know, telling me all the, all the things that I contributed to the fight in the first place, and man, then I'm going to have to deal with that, and this is why this is week three, not week one, because weeks one and two are prerequisites Jesus is assuming that we're already monitoring the words that are coming out of our mouths and and what that means about what's in our hearts. He's assuming that we're already trying to remove the planks from our own eyes well before we're going to try to deal with the sawdust in anybody else's. He's assuming that, and so he's assuming a posture of humility from anyone who will confront someone else about their sin. Because if it does turn back, and they do start pointing out all the things that I've done to them, and I contributed, and that I made this whole mess, can I humbly hear, respond, and seek their forgiveness? Remember, the relationship's the goal, not winning. It's about winning them over. Not about me winning, but winning them over to the relationship, the restoration of things as God intended them to be. And so can I, in humility, receive that, acknowledge, seek Humbly seek forgiveness. Now, it doesn't let them off the hook. And so the, the necessity of this process for me to speak one-to-one is still there. I still have to address the issue. And maybe the most fundamental reason we don't do this is because it's just exhausting, isn't it? I mean, the emotional stress that, that it takes, you know, the, the toll that it, it takes on us, we just kind of want to avoid the whole thing, don't we? I just don't want to deal with it. It gets messy, doesn't it? And so we, we often don't do it. And so we sweep the things under the rug until it's not just a matter of, I don't want to, I can't not. And those, it's almost never a good thing when you get to that point is it? And so Jesus is saying, come on, go one-to-one. But if, if we're skipping this one-to-one, what's typically happening? I think it's avoidance that we just mentioned, or for another common pattern is something called triangulation. You familiar with this term? In relationships, it happens all the time. And let, me, let me give an example of what triangulation looks like. I've got a uh, slide for you on the screen. Not this one, but the next one that's going to come up here. I promise you, it's here. There's a triangle. Because it's triangulation. It's got a triangle. And you can say, it's not working. So, All right, so here's what happens. Imagine this. You've got three points on a triangle, right? And at each point is a different person. And so we'll say, this point is Abe. This point is Barney, and this point is Charlie. A, B, C, get that? Yeah, yeah, you like that? And let's say that Barney has stolen Abe's cake, literally. He had a cake. Barney's like, no, my cake now. I'm out. Clearly, Barney has sinned against Abe. There's something wrong that has happened here. 
He's harmed him. And that could just, it doesn't have to be a stolen cake. It could be words that have been hurtful. It could be judgment, condemnation. It could just be you know, all sorts of the you know, run-of-the-mill sin. And Abe is, is hurt by it. You know, he, of course he is. That was his cake. He wanted that cake. And so now what does Abe do? See, Jesus says, Abe, go, go. go. Hey, there they are. Look at this. Jesus says, Abe, go talk to Barney. Go and point out the fault. And if you win him over, fantastic. That's the point. But Abe's like, I don't want to go talk to Barney. I don't want to get, I don't want to get rejected again. I don't want to get hurt any more than I already am. Barney's older than I am, right? There's a power dynamic. He might tell me that I'm not sharing my cake and I'm supposed to be sharing my cake. Whatever it is, I don't want to do that. And so what, what then Abe often will do is he knows Charlie and so does Barney. And they all, they all know each other. And so Abe goes and talks to Charlie. Says, Charlie, Barney took my cake, right? Can't believe it. I'm so hurt. That was my favorite birthday cake. My, my mommy made it for me. Whatever it is. And often the way it starts is sharing what has happened and the hurt and the pain. And all of that's okay. But then it, it starts to go, and Barney's so mean. Barney's so hurtful. Barney's so da-da-da. Can you believe he would do this to me? Now, very quickly, the sharing of the, the pains and the burdens and the experiences of our lives, if we're not careful, can quickly turn into gossip. It can quickly turn into shredding another person's character. It can be very quickly about pointing out another person's faults, not to them, to somebody else. And not because we're trying to help or heal, which is ne the next step, because we, we haven't done step one, we're trying to skip perhaps to step two. But it's really out of our own hurt and our own pain that we then want to cause them pain. Now, what does Charlie do? Now, Charlie, yeah, he wants peace. He likes Abe, he likes Barney, he wants things to work out. And frequently, the person in this, this relationship triangle that is Charlie will go talk to Barney, won't they? And, you know, might start with, hey, what happened with you and Abe? And, you know, Charlie suddenly is in the position of trying to fix the relationship between Abe and Barney. See, part of why Jesus says go one to one if someone has sinned against you is because it's not actually possible for Charlie to fix Abe and Barney's relationship. It's not. But, man, if you're a fixer, if you're a helper, if it pains you to see people in your life that you care about hurting, then you might find yourself in Charlie's position often. You might find yourself trying to alleviate the pain and the suffering that everybody's enduring. But here's what happens when you do that. You take on all of their stress because Abe was happy to dump the load in Charlie's lap. He had all this emotional stress, things were broken that weren't supposed to be broken in the relationship, and so now he just gets to go Bleh. And Charlie goes, give me all that. I'll take, I'll take your mess. Come on. And if Abe doesn't have to carry it, he feels great. Charlie's now carrying it, and he feels awful. This happens all the time. When one person hurts somebody else, 
and they go to this person and then this person rather than saying, hey, you need to go work that out together. Remember, step one, don't skip step one. You gotta go point one to one. Says, oh, I'll help you. And it's well intended. And it is. It's a desire for healing. It's a desire for things to be fixed. It's a desire for the broken relationship to be healed. But it's not possible. Edwin Friedman uh, was, a, was a rabbi, and he was a family therapist, and he was a leadership consultant. I mean, an incredible, incredibly thoughtful guy. And he, he writes a lot about triangles and the way they work in systems, systems of people and organizations and families. And, and he says, here's the thing. There's a general rule about triangles. One can only change a relationship of which one is directly a part. Man, if you could just grab that, if you're a Charlie, if you can just grab that, that will be so liberating for you, and it will be so transformative for the other people in your life who tend to dump their stuff in your lap. And that's what Jesus is getting at. You can't fix their relationship. The sin happened for, Barney sinned against Abe. They've got to work it out, which is why Jesus says, go, Abe. Go and point out the fault. But just between the two of you, because that's the relationship that needs to be healed. Well, if you've ever done that, you know that it doesn't always work, does it? And so Jesus gives us step two. But don't skip step one. I could stop right here and just go back and say, do step one. Like, we should, we should send us all out, go do step one, and we shouldn't even talk about step two until we all actually go do step one. That's how important it is. Do not participate in the triangles. Don't dump, your, don't dump your stuff in Charlie's lap and don't allow somebody to dump their stuff in yours. Okay? Because this will heal the relationships, which is the goal. But sometimes it doesn't work. And so Jesus says, if they'll not listen, if you can't win them over, Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, Jesus is pulling from Old Testament wisdom. He's pulling from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, where it very clearly says, hey, one witness is not enough to convict anyone that's accused of a crime. So he's drawing on this tradition that to actually bring a conviction... There needed to be more than one person who had witnessed it, and they both have to come and agree and say the same thing. And there's a lot of things to grab onto here when we move to step two. He says witnesses, not a posse. Right? He doesn't say, go get a few of your really good friends who've got your back and go set them straight. Because we know that doesn't work. That's going to only inflame the situation. You know, it doesn't help to bring those that you've already whipped up into some sort of frenzy that are ready to, they want to fight because they care about you. That's not going to win them over. It might let you win, but it's not going to win them over. Remember the goal, the purpose, reconcile the relationship. And so it's not about people who are on your side, but it's about witnesses. And this could be, this could have two different, di different meanings here. It could be witnesses who are aware of the issue that you're trying to address. So it's people who saw Barney steal the cake. They saw him eating it by himself on the playground. Right? They are people who, can, who have seen and can speak into the issue in a relevant manner. Maybe in a way that can actually get attention. 
It could also mean witnesses for the conversation, for the attempt at reconciliation. Witnesses who may not have actually seen Barney steal the cake, but they can become witnesses to the attempts at reconciliation, and is it being done in a healthy and proper way? And, and so what this is saying is, I mean, these need to be people who have some wisdom, who have some discernment, who have some neutrality, who aren't trying to make sure that you win, but so that the relationship is healed. It's people who are mature. And this is so important, this possibility that this is here, because sometimes you are on the receiving end of sin and hurt, and nobody else has seen it. And one of the temptations for us in in our world is simply to dismiss it because nobody else saw it. Well, Jesus is inviting witnesses to come to at least be a part of the process to discern in the midst of the reconciliation attempt, how are they responding? What are the issues really at play? Maybe it was that I actually caused the problem in the first place and I'm not actually able to even see the plank in my eye. See, I think this is such an amazing step too because it does a couple of things. One, it absolutely purifies our motives when we're seeking to correct someone who's hurt us and sinned against us. Because remember, we have to put into words. We have to then explain to these two or three others what has actually happened, and we have to tell them, this is what happened, and this is how I responded, and this is where I'm hurt, and this is where I think the sin is, and and suddenly, they might ask me a question and go, what? You did, you did what? You, really? You're, You're hurt? You're hurt because, oh, oh, because they spilled on your shoes. Well, yeah, Sometimes we may want to be elevating things to a level that are not appropriate, right? That aren't sin things or aren't things that we've blown out of proportion. And to bring two or three witnesses in invites them to say, you know what? I think you're in the wrong. I think you may be overreacting. I think you may need to step back. I think you may actually need to go apologize to the one that you're seeking to correct. And man, how great would this be if we practiced this well? Because, you know, assuming there's that spirit of humility, right, that allows us to be corrected, then we could work through, and we get two or three that can help purify my motives, but it also help me clarify the issues as I have to really explain what has happened to me, how it's gone down, and then we can go and address it together. And then they can be those who are listening, who are discerning, is there movement, is there sin, is there contrition, is there repentance, is there confession, is there hardness, is there, what is, what's there? And they can be there to try to win over the one that sinned and hurt us. Man, just ask the rhetorical question again. How often have you done step two? I mean, step one's hard. How about step two? And see, Jesus keeps going because he says, yes, sometimes even step two's not going to work. Sometimes there's a desire to avoid responsibility like we talked about last week on on the part of the person that's hurt us. And so then what do we do? And Jesus says, hey, if they still refuse, step three, tell it to the church. Now, I think we envision, because of our idea of what church is, we envision, you know, somebody coming up here and saying, okay, can't believe what Bob did to me. Right? And that's what we picture when we tell it to the church. And I don't think that's what Jesus was picturing. 
When he's talking about the assembly of, of believers, I mean, he's talking about the, the faithful, the, the followers who were likely, he was envisioning, going to be gathered in smaller groupings, smaller house churches, you know, smaller places where there was an intimacy of relationship. There was a knowledge about one another, right? I mean, if you're in a house church of 60, 70 people, which would have been pretty big, you know everybody. And so now you're talking about, well, you're talking about a family meeting, aren't you? You're talking about a family intervention. And we're talking about a family intervention that's so important that we're willing as a family to prioritize because we know that if we leave a brother or sister in sin, it is to their death and detriment. That's the motive, remember? This isn't about punitive action. This is about reconciliation. This is about giving them the chance to return to the purpose and the will of God in their life and heal the relationships. Well, sometimes, even that won't work. I mean, how often have we practiced step three anyway? Sometimes step three won't work, and so Jesus says, hey, if step three doesn't work, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, what what does he mean when he says that? When we hear, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector, uh, I mean, I think our, some of our natural human inclination is to say, oh, well, those are, the, those are the pagans, so we get rid of them. We cast them out. We reject them. Those are the tax collectors. I mean, those are the ones, I mean, they're just doing shady stuff all the time. But when we look at how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors, it invites us to think about this a little more. Because Jesus treats pagans and tax collectors in an incredible way. He's gentle and firm. He pursues them and has relationship with them. He challenges them where they're wrong, invites their repentance, and even a step further, he invites them into even deeper relationship with him, but there is a caveat. He doesn't invite all of them to be in intimate relationship with him. There was a necessity of repentance There was a necessity of acknowledging where they had sinned and their need for him and a following after him. Matthew himself, who wrote this gospel, was a tax collector. Invited into intimate fellowship with Jesus, not because he was perfect, but because Jesus walking along the road said to Matthew, come on, follow me. And he experienced something within his soul, recognizing, man, this life, collecting taxes, you know, getting shady money, this isn't fulfilling. I need to move away from that. And he moved toward Jesus. And so the people in our lives that have sinned against us, who refuse to repent when we go to them one-to-one, when we go to them with two or three witnesses, when we go to them before the church or the family gathering, man, we don't cut them off even then. We continue to leave the door open, inviting their repentance, inviting them to turn back, inviting them, but they've got to recognize what they've done. See, I get asked a lot about forgiveness, which is what Peter realizes this whole thing's going towards. It's all driving to forgiveness. He says, how how many times do I have to forgive my brother or sister? Seven? I don't know, 77 really, it's not about the number, it's about 
77, can you even imagine? That's like, that's, it's unfathomable. It was about a heart that was constantly open to forgiveness, constantly keeping the door open. And Peter knew that. And people ask me about forgiveness all the time, and there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. There's a difference. And Jesus is is inviting them to forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness means we've let go of the debt. We don't want them to carry, we're not hoping any harm on them. They don't owe us anything anymore. And so to forgive them is to let go of all of that animosity towards them. But to reconcile is another thing. Because reconcile means we're going to be in intimate relationship again. We're going to have trust. We're going to have, you know, we're going to rebuild what was once. And we are called to absolutely forgive 77 times. And reconciliation requires a response, a two-way street. You don't have to continue to just trust people blindly who have hurt you over and over again. You don't have to just continue to ignore the issues when people have sinned against you. That's not what forgiveness looks like. Or that's what forgiveness may look like, but that's not reconciliation. And at the heart of what Jesus is aiming at is reconciliation, relationships that have been reformed. That's the whole heart of what Jesus is about. When we fight well, that's what we aim at. When we fight well, we go one-to-one. When we fight well, if that doesn't work, we bring two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, we bring them before the church, before the, the family gathering. But blanketed over this whole thing, man, to, to fuel this whole process, to fight well, man, the gospel, I believe, has got to be at the center of this. Because we remember, Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven is actually a better way to translate it. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. In other words, God has done the binding and the loosing. Right? Only God is the one that ultimately offers us forgiveness. Only God is the one who offers us the ultimate judgment. We talked about that last week a little bit. And so when we are discerning in prayer together, when, we are abs- when we're seeking God's reconciliation with the people in our lives and we determine that, that they are bound or they are loosed, that's because God has determined that and is putting that into our We don't get to control that. We're responding to the movement of God. We're responding, but the only way we respond is remembering that the only way we've been reconciled with God and we can be reconciled with one another is what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. It's the only way. It's the only way that Abe can have the humility. It's the only way he can have the humility to go to Barney and say, man, you've sinned against me. You stole from me. You've hurt me. But that he can, he can do that with tenderness and gentleness and seek his, his best good, seek Barney's good. But it also overcomes for those of us who are afraid to enter into conflict. It says, no, 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 it's okay. If they reject you, if that pain continues, then you know what? God has already claimed you. He already loves you. He's already holding you. You don't need to worry about their further rejection. It invites, it invites us to break off the triangles, to go one-to-one. It invites us because we are whole in Jesus Christ no matter how they respond. 
It offers to Charlie the, the invitation to not have to fix the relationships because it says Jesus has already done everything required to fix the relationship. And so you can point them one to one and you can point them to Jesus to remember what he has done for them. And Jesus can bring the healing. He can, bring, he can fix the relationships that you so desperately want to fix in your lives, but you're never gonna be able to do it on your own. And so you can have the courage to say, you know what? I shouldn't be hearing about this. You need to go address that one to one. And if they reject you, Jesus has already accepted you. And if you're Barney, if you're the one that's caused pain or hurt in the lives of other people, as you reflect on you've dealt poorly, then the reminder is that no matter what your sin is, no matter what you have done to, against others in your life, there is no sin that's too great that Jesus hasn't offered himself on your behalf, that hasn't made it so that you can be loosed, you can be free from the burden that you've carried, you can be free from the guilt, you can be free and you can be accepted once again. You may have already burned too many bridges in your life and the consequences on that, of that on this earth may be very real and you may not be able to reconcile with some of those people, but you can be reconciled with God who loves you. The gospel is the fuel that keeps this process going so that we can fight well, so that we can fight for the reconciliation and healing of relationships because that's at the heart of dealing with people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that is so practical and yet even as we thank you, I just want to acknowledge how hard it is to live it out. That we're, for so many reasons, we just, we skip step one. For so many reasons, we create unhealthy triangles. For so many reasons, we avoid the conflict. And Lord, may you put at the heart of us a, a desire for reconciliation, a desire to win over one another, not a desire to win, but to win over, a desire that's in alignment with your heart that caused you to sacrifice your son to reconcile us with yourself. Lord God, may, may we be, continue to be awed and in wonder of what you've done for us to reconcile, that we would courageously pursue others in our lives who have sinned so that they can be reconciled as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.